All right, welcome to another episode of Survival Mode. I am Todd Angelucci, brain tumor survivor, uh, trauma survivor, somebody who's just learned some valuable lessons and wanted to share some of the learnings that I've learned through my challenges. And I love to bring on people that have gone through some challenges and really overcame and have a lot of lessons in in spirit of breast cancer awareness month this is you know october of 2022 i'm not sure when you're listening to this um i have a breast cancer survivor um uh, her name is christy mcsweeney and she you know her energy was just so awesome um when i was chatting with her and her story is is great so christy welcome Thank you for having me, Todd. I appreciate it. Um, from one thriver survivor to another, I appreciate you and everything that you're doing. Oh, thank you. So talk to me a little bit about a little bit about your life journey, you know, a little bit about kind of up until, you know, obviously you had a diagnosis, but tell me a little bit before, like a little bit about you kind of growing up, your your life. And then things that had occurred that you had some nice learning lessons along the way and some, you know, ups and downs. Yeah. Sure. Uh, absolutely. Gosh, I feel like we could probably part this out in four episodes. Um, I was adopted um, at six weeks old uh, to a family who my adopted mother wanted a little girl she could play dress up with and show off because she had four boys. So that's basically what my upbringing was. I was kind of a showpiece for her and she was very vocal about that. Um, I suffered a lot of abuse through my upbringing, um, physical, mental, emotional. Um, you know, I was pretty much on display and that invited a lot of things that were not good. Um, I was pretty much kind of on my own um, from the time I was seven, my older brothers were, you know, 10 years older than I was. So we were kind of raised in separate families. Um, and I, I learned early on that the brain is a powerful organ to block and, and help you survive through those things. Um, I have no recollection of my childhood from first grade through sixth grade. So seven years old through 12, 13 years old. Um, and that was that was because my brain was protecting me of, of what it needed to protect me from. I, um, I learned all those things when I had a, something triggered me when I was 22 years old and everything that had happened to me growing up came back in a flood. And it was, it was wild from remembering the color of wallpaper to the smell of things to um, the time of year it was to just certain words. Um, you know, my brothers were always very, very vocal about you're not a real sister. And if you ever do anything bad, they're going to send you back. And I never really knew what back was, but I knew I didn't want to go there. But I didn't even know what that what that meant. So um, as a kid, my favorite place to be was up in a pine tree, <laughs> which was, gosh, I don't even know how tall it was, but it was several. If if you can envision a pine tree, it's it's branched out in a V. And I I would climb several rungs of V's and this pine tree was in our backyard and overlooked our pool. And as, as high as I could go and as safe as I felt, nobody could see me. And there were times that my mom, it was great. 
my mom would come out. She'd be yelling for me and had no idea where I was. And I would just sit there and watch and just, and it was, I, I, it was like the best place I could hide. So it was, um, that's like my favorite memory growing up was hiding in the pine tree. Um, so fast forward to, you know, my, my early adult life, um, when all these things started flooding back to me and triggering me, I went to therapy for three years. Um, I was also date raped in high school. Um, there was just a lot of things and a lot of, of reasons of being on display and being a very pretty girl and being very developed was not, was not the best thing for me. It was just bad. Um, so I just, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to equate it to, um, you know, kid, kids are mean to begin with for the most part, but I cherished my childhood friends and the ones who were really my friends, they protected me. Um, so I kind of, you know, I, 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 I have three really good girlfriends who I'm still friends with to this day. We've had our kids together. They know the experiences that I've gone through. Um, we all have daughters. I have three daughters and I, I just committed myself before I even had kids that I would never put my children through something and brush it off like it was just trivial. Um, when everything came to light and I approached my parents with what happened, their response was, well, well, that's okay. We didn't really know about then, so there's nothing we can do about it. And we're just gonna go on and be a happy family. And I was like, yeah, no, that's not okay. Um, however, hindsight of that, I am thankful, I'm grateful because my biological family I feel like I would have had a worse situation. Um, I, you know, I'm thankful that they gave me up for adoption. It was a heavy drug abuse situation. They, you know, had family who pretty much told them that they had to give me up. They weren't allowed to raise me. So I'm thankful because it, that could have been a whole entirely worse situation for me. So, you know, I really believe that everybody in this life, and I've I've lived my life this way, really from the time that I came, came to know and came to remember all these things, everybody has a choice. You can choose to wallow in what happened to you and be a victim and just really kind of chalk it up to, I, I really got a raw deal in this life, or you can choose to make it something positive and learn from it and rise above it and forgive and know that it was not anything that I had any control over. I was a kid. And that's what I wanted to, even before I had children, I wanted to model that to my kids. Forgiveness is huge. How we move forward in life is huge. And I don't wanna be stifled by fear of, hey, they're gonna send you back or punishing myself um, and punishing my, my entire existence. So I chose to just rise above it. Um, there's just a lot that we have to give each other and a lot that we have to support each other with. So that is up to my first 22 years. So um, let me ask you a question. Yeah. How old were you when you decided to get counsel? <clears throat> Roughly. I was 20, 22. So in roughly what year was that? Year frame? That was 19. Let me think about this. 1986, I went to counseling for three years and then stopped. And then I went back again after I had my first daughter in 90, 93. So 
I just want to say this. Like, I was in high school in the 80s, right? And back then, like, counseling and all, mental health didn't have its... What was like, voodoo? It was voodoo. It For, was you were not... not yeah. Like if you got mental health, there were some serious challenges, yes. right? Yes. So, a lot of labels around it. And I'll I'll say that because back in the day, I grew myself, I grew up in a pretty challenging household, you know, mm -hmm. some psychological abuse, you know, substance abuse, all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. And at an early age, I decided like my life started to suck, you know, I partied, like my life sucked and I felt like crap inside. Mm -hmm. And yep. I decided too, that I needed help. And at that time, like that was the best thing I did because it started to unpeel the layers. And so just yeah. by you doing that at a young age and getting that help is is determination because that's what people said to me. She, you, you were determined. Like, yeah. what kid, what person at a young age in their twenties yeah. would get counseling? It's um, it's interesting you say that because I was always labeled when I was young as having moxie, and I didn't know what that meant, but I was determined, and I knew that there, you know, there was a crossroads after I was date raped in high school. And high school was high school was the greatest experience that I've had and the worst experience I had. Um, greatest because I played basketball and I had phenomenal teammates. And worst because the boys were, I mean, I was date raped. I mean, they just they you just it, it's a bad time from a hormonal standpoint. But the crossroads, I was like, okay, I'm either, I mean, I literally, it was a couple times I was suicidal. I didn't want to be here anymore. There was no purpose for me. What was the purpose if it was just gonna be um people pursuing me for the wrong reasons, not for who I was, not for my intellect, not for who, you know, what my heart was, but for the physicality of it. Um, so I had no self-worth. I had no confidence. I was a straight A student and I just didn't want to be here anymore. So I, I had this crowd and, and thank God for my youth groups and for church. Um, I had this, this afternoon where I just really got into scripture and I really just got into prayer and I was like, all right, I, I, I'm not sure which way to go. It's either going to be, I'm not going to be here anymore or I'm going to rise above this. I'm going to do something about it. I'm not going to let anybody take advantage of me anymore. And I'm going to set some boundaries. And that's, that's where I chose to go. So let me, let me understand this correctly. So in addition to counseling, you dove into spirituality, God. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Church saved my, my life. Church and basketball saved my life. What parts of those do you feel helped you like what what about those things um I think from a church standpoint I had and it was so weird because I was the only one in my family there's five of us I was the only one starting at age three that my parents took me to church and dropped me off I went to Sunday school at nine o'clock and they didn't pick me up until 12 o'clock I'm three years old I mean I can remember this I remember my Sunday school teachers my brothers never had to go so I was always like well that's really weird but I had a family there. I had a support system. I had people who I trusted. Um, I had people who I knew would give me resources that I just, I felt safe. That was the one environment that I felt safe in. And the same thing with my basketball team. I was with the girls from the time I was eight years old until we graduated high school. We went through the entire 
all of our years together in school, we had the same team and I felt safe. So the environments that I would find that were very few that provided me a sense of safety and support and reassurance and that I wasn't alone and that I had resources out there, that's where I gravitated to. Um, and it was not, you know, and, and it was even, <laughs> it was even, you know, like my basketball group, there would be times where I would break curfew. And I knew if I, I knew when I went home that I was going to, my mom was going to beat the crap out of me because I broke curfew. So it was, you know, it was kind of the lesser of two evils. Well, I wanted to stay because I just, I felt so safe. I felt such a sense of belonging that I knew what was going to happen when I got home, but I was just having such a great time that I didn't want to leave that nucleus that provided me that peace. Mm -hmm. um, so those were my two saving graces growing up. When I became an adult and I met my, and I met my husband, he provided me that sense of safety um, in our 30 years together that I'd never, I mean, I had only experienced with those two groups, but one person provided me that sense of safety and protection around all the things that I felt like were going to just like, just break me down, destroy me. And I always knew he had my back. He reassured me. He went to bat and talked to my parents about when I had all these revelations of what had happened when I was little. He was the one that went to my parents and said, listen, this is what happened and you will respect her. And she's not going to talk about this with you. She's going through a healing process and I'm here to make sure that she's protected. Um, so, I mean, I, I, to, to, Till the day I die, those were, you know, feeling safe has been my, been my blanket. I mean, it's, it's hard. You don't, you don't have this crazy world, like people, and I'm in healthcare like you, and you know, you're, you just, there's just not a lot of sense of safety and security anymore. Um, so it's like, where do you find that? And what, you know, what fills you up and what do you know is going to envelop you in that, that sense of peace and love? Um, that you know that you're going to, that that's going to help you get through that next kind of dark phase or that season. You know, what's interesting. It's like, and this is my issue a little bit is I feel now there's an overemphasis on safe. And so now I cringe <laughs> like, Oh, we got a safe space. And yeah. cause I, I didn't have one. Right. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. I figured it out. Right. But I felt too, like in retrospect, and even listening to you, our biggest challenges, our biggest problems that we've had gave us the opportunity to rise above it. A hundred percent. And figure it out and deal with it and find resources and develop a level of resilience. And of course, we've got, we have trauma, all kinds of stuff, but that's happened through the ages. Everything. Look at the Bible. Yeah. The Bible, if you read the Bible, yeah. it's all about suffering, right? Yeah. There's so yeah. much about suffering, right? Yeah. And now I think because our generation's yeah. kids are getting older, right? And we mm -hmm. never wanted them to have it as bad as bad as we had it, which yeah. was you know what I yeah. mean? We put this yeah. bubble around them, right? Yeah. So, but I think this is really interesting because the safety, I love what you were saying about your husband. So talk to me about when you met him and kind of, you know, and we didn't skip anything, right? We're 22. We're, you yeah, got yeah. Some, no, you got some life and yeah, yeah. Yep. So you met your, your husband, right? Yep. I think this is such a powerful story. Tell me a little bit about that experience. Yeah, so it's interesting that we're talking because 
on October 18th, so two days ago, would have been 32 years that from the day we met. Okay. Um, I went to college with his brother. He dated a really great friend of mine. Um, we we became really good friends and played sports together and the whole nine yards and you know all that kind of stuff. Um, he they were originally from Atlanta, and at some point he had moved back to Atlanta. I was working a bazillion hours. I was going to school and working like 60 hours a week. And, you know, I put myself through school and had a really good gig with J. Bill Harmon Carden. And I was just super burnout. And it was October and I had never, you know, growing in California, I had never seen the fall colors. You know, California, everything is green. It turns brown, it falls to the ground. Like you just don't even get the joy of the seasons. You hear about it, but you just don't get it. So when he moved to Atlanta, um, we had still stayed in touch and I, I just felt like I want, I just needed to take a time out. So I called him up. I was like, Hey man, um, I know your birthday's coming up. Um, I'd love to see the fall colors. I'm working a ton of hours right now. I just need to take a break. Can I come out and we'll just celebrate your birthday. And he, you know, immediately was like, yeah, sure. Come on out. I want to let you know that my brother, Bill, is moving down from Maryland. Do you mind if he hangs out with us? And I was like, more the merrier. Um, he said, okay, great. He said, I'll probably, you know, he, you're probably going to have to hang out with him because he doesn't have a job yet, just moving down here. I'll probably have to go to work. So if you don't mind hanging out with him, he can show you the town, the whole nine yards. I was like, yeah, cool. So I get there on October 17th. Um, I get off the plane. I meet the two of them. We had the that evening there was just such an energy about us in that evening we had a really cool conversation the next day the 18th we spent the entire day together down in downtown atlanta peachtree plaza and he was i immediately felt safety and trust and comfort and like this guy was not going to let anything bad happen to me it was just an instant it was just an instant energy that we had together. I knew that day that I met the guy I was going to marry. Um, and it was kind of funny because we joked, you know, having been in prior relationships, we're like, yeah, we're never, we're never going to get married. We're going to go tour the world and, you know, conquer everything, blah, blah, blah. And when I left, the day I left, I, I'm not a crier. The day I left, I was absolutely brokenhearted that I was leaving this guy. And it was almost embarrassing. Like I was sobbing. Um, he brought me in a bouquet of wildflowers that he went out and picked for me. He just was, he just was that person that I had always dreamed of coming into my life. Um, he wasn't interested in me for the physicality. He was like, we would stay up till three or four o'clock in the morning and just chat about nothing. And I had never experienced that before. Um, so of course I go home, I tell my girlfriends, I met the guy I'm going to marry. They're like, you know, shut up. He called his parents and told his parents that he met the girl he was going to marry. And they, and they were like, shut up. You know, Billy McSweeney said he's never getting married, never having kids, all that kind of stuff. So fast forward, we got married a year and a half later. And it, it, when people were with us, including his brother, the way that they described us was like, it was just kinetic. Like our energy was so attached to each other and it was so electric that you could just feel um, just, you know, the, the positive vibe that we had together. Um, so we, we got married, we had three daughters. Um, he dealt with a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, a lot of things that just 
were really hard to help equip him with the tools and help him manage and be as supportive as I should have been. But when you've got three kids, two, they're 13 months, like your life gets enveloped by these kids, these little monsters that you just, that it's hard to balance the time. So we ended up getting, um, separating and getting divorced in 2017. Um, How long were you married? Um, we were married for 25 years. Your kids and were older at this point? Yep, we were. Um, so 2017, we're, we're in our 50s. And the kids were grown and he was really struggling with a lot of things of career. And he was raised by an authoritative dad and he never really had the ability to make choices on his own or, and he was told that dreams don't, dreams don't exist. So he was told, this is what you're going to do when you grow up. This is what you will be. This is who you'll provide with. You don't have any choices. There is no such thing as dreams. And this is what you will, this is what you will be in your existence. And that crushed him. Um, and it could never really get, get away from that mindset. Um, and he dealt with a lot of shame. So there was a lot of times he wasn't present. You know, it was, um, it was heartbreaking for me seeing him be really neutralized by that, but he, he was very old school. So when we talk about going to therapy in the eighties, he would not go to therapy. He would resolve it himself. He didn't believe, he thought if he went to a therapist, that meant he was broken and that person wasn't going to be able to help him. Um, so I just got to the point where I was working three jobs. We had lost our home. We'd lost everything because he couldn't physically, he just couldn't get to where he could work. Um, so he was going to work for, for several years and I, you know, we're still raising kids. And I just got to the point where I was like, I can't deal. I've got to still be present for our kids. And I can't carry the load. I can't work three jobs. I mean, our children were like, mom, you can't do this much longer. You, you're working yourself to death. Um, and you just, you've got to, you've just got to make a break. So, you know, our children who are now in high school, um, our oldest was in college are, you know, they're seeing all the signs and it wasn't healthy for them. It wasn't healthy for us. So we filed for divorce. We literally held hands walking into court to file papers. The court clerk even said, you're, you two are getting divorced, you know, we're, you know, we just kind of silently nodded our heads and we knew we still loved each other. We just couldn't, we couldn't get past like just the weight of what was going on to help him get better. So we, um, we, <laughs> it was so stupid because every Valentine's day, so we were divorced for two and a half years on Valentine's day, we would call, we would FaceTime each other and say, we got married on Valentine's day. And we'd say happy, happy anniversary, happy non-anniversary. And we would have a, he would have a beer. I would have a glass of wine and we would have a steak. And we'd say at some point we're going to get our act together and we'll be able to get back together. So it wasn't about not being in love. It was just about life getting it. You know, it's just about life getting in the way. All right. So fast forward, um, two and a half years later, um, we remained really, really good friends. Um, we are at the, at the end of the day through everything that went through, we are a family of five and our nucleus was our family that never, that never left us. Um, my blinds are like splitting my face in half here. <laughs> um, he, I got a phone call in January of 2020 and he wasn't feeling well. Um, and I remember answering the phone and he said, Hey, do you have a minute? I was like, yeah. And my, my background in healthcare, I'm in imaging. And he said, I had a CT done. Can I read the results to you? And I was like, yeah. 
Um, and he was very guarded about his health. He hated going to the doctors. He was always a guy, never got sick, never washed his hands, was like, you know, a little dirt don't hurt, all that kind of stuff. Yep. So he reads me his results from his CAT scan um, and he's got a mass in his pancreas and he's got ascites and he's got some issues in, in the lining of his stomach. And I immediately, I mean, short of dropping the phone at the same time of being calm and, and just having grace about myself to not worry him. I just said, okay, I'll have my radiologist read it. Can you overnight me the scans? And he was like, yeah, no problem. Um, I said, I'll, I'm, I'm going to pack a bag and I'll, I'll be, I'm head to Atlanta. And he, you know, he was like, you don't have to do that. And you know, there was, he still had doctor's appointments and he had a girlfriend at that time. So, you know, during our time apart, he had gotten together with this other gal, but he still had the, he still had the mind to know to call me because I was still his person. Um, and I knew, and he knew, I mean, we just had this, this unspoken, we have each other's backs kind of thing. I knew if there was something wrong with me, he would do the same thing without even, without hesitation. So. Um, we meet with his oncologist. He has all the scans and biopsies and, you know, everything that's going on. We meet with his oncologist at this point. Now COVID is hit. Um, our kids are, we've got one that just came home from the army. We've got one who was in her last semester of college and our oldest was, um, a design. She was in design. So she was remote so she could come, she could visit. So we meet with his oncologist. I had seen the results of the biopsy. I knew how bad it was. I did not disclose any of that to our kids or to his family. Um, I just was like, we don't know. We don't know until we, we exercise all the career, all the care pathways. Um, so his oncologist gives us some news on February 14th, which would have been our 28th wedding anniversary and tells him, you know, I'm going to try and get you to a year. And Bill thought, you know, he could have a whipple done and do, you know, do therapy without having a pancreas and everything was going to be cool. And knowing what I knew, uh, all I thought of and all I could hope for was that he was going to make it for our youngest daughter's graduation in May because he was covered in cancer. Mm -hmm. So I simultaneously lost my job due to COVID. But I feel like, you know, as crazy as all that was and as cats and dogs falling from the sky, everybody was freaking out. I felt incredibly blessed to not have a job that I could focus 100% on taking care of him. Mm. And that was it. I was thankful that our kids, um, you know, college came to a screeching halt. So the youngest came home. Um, the middle one was home from the army and the oldest was essential worker. So she could work wherever she wanted. So for the first time since 2016 in four years was the first time that all of us, including our kids, significant others were on the same roof. So where people see COVID as this thing that was so dark and life altering for me, it was a tremendous blessing because we were all together as a family to go through this journey with him and spend the last 91 days of his life together. Start to finish prognosis, it was 91 days, gone. I watched a, a six foot two, 230 pound man whittle down to 130 pounds and just not complain not be angry, be grateful for what he had for his family, for all of us. He just handled his journey with so much grace. And you know, cancer is as ugly as you can get. And pancreatic cancer yeah. is the ugliest. 
I mean, it just eats you alive. Um, so through all that, we, you know, it was so, it was so funny. We were in the car and we were going to an oncology appointment and I, I just kind of threw out there. I was like, Hey, you want to get married again? And he looked at me, he goes, what? And I said, I, I said, you know, I, I have never not, I've never, I've always loved you. You have always been my person. This has given us the ability to forgive. I mean, everything is just washed away. I, I mean, you are just, you are my person. You were the only person I've ever loved. I've only felt, you know, did the whole thing. And he said, I like that idea. Wow. Yeah. And I, and I didn't expect him to say that because he was always so stoic and yeah. he wanted to guard everybody. Um, he was like, yeah. So we renewed our vows with our three kids and our, my sister-in-law was there. My niece was there. Um, a couple of our really best friends there are, you know, the kids, significant others. We got remarried in our backyard. And it was the sweetest. He was having a good day. It was just the sweetest thing. And it was so cool because every, the kids put everything together. They decorated the backyard. My best friend came in, got a cake. They got this cool wedding topper that my daughter um, cut out and put masks over the bride and groom. <laughs> so it was just, like relevant for the time. But, and we had all of our family and friends on the phone through FaceTime watching the whole thing. And it was just the sweetest most precious moment of time because he was having a good day and he could enjoy it with everybody. And it was so honest and it was so just raw. But the one thing that just remained over 30 years was we never stopped loving each other. We never stopped supporting each other or, or having the awareness and the mindfulness around what safety and trust meant to us. So, and I, you know, he, he passed away on May 22nd, 2020. It was, um, you know, the girls and I were all there when he took his last breath. I feel blessed. And I felt, I feel like that's a gift that we were there for him. Um, and he waited for our, our youngest daughter was sleeping. He waited for her to wake up until he took his last breath. Um, you know, I just, it breaks my heart that my kids don't have him here. It breaks my heart that he is gone. I'll never find anybody like him again. And watching him go through that journey with the grace and the just, the calm and the, and I asked him, I said, aren't you mad? This was like a day before he passed away. I said, aren't you mad? And he said, about what? I said, so here we are. We finally find our way back to each other. And we've got all these things that we want to do. Like our biggest thing when our kids got older was we wanted to be the coolest grandparents and, and give our kids date night. Cause we didn't have that. Like we didn't have that at all. My mom was like, I don't do grandkids. Don't look to me too. So we never really had anybody watch our kids. And we, could, we couldn't wait to be grandparents, to be able to give our kids date night and give them the opportunity to go travel. And we just wanted, we just wanted to take care of our grandbabies. Um, we wanted to go back West. Um, he loved the West. We wanted to go back to California. And he just looked at me and, and he just, he, and he wasn't really searching for an answer. He just immediately responded. He said, I'm not mad. He said, I'm thankful that I have you with me, that we've gotten back to this place, that you're my wife again, that the girls are here, that they're growing their they're on their journeys. They're successful. Um, he said, I never really felt like I belonged in this world anyways. And he didn't. Um, he said, I kind of feel like I was born in the wrong time. He said, so I'm, I'm really, I'm at peace. I don't have anger. I just want to, I just want to be in peace knowing that I've had this time with you all. And I was like, man, if you could have answered it, a like that was like, <laughs> just could you, did you really just answer it like that? That was like the best answer ever. And <laughs> I, you know, I'm just like, what happened like that? So I feel like I got robbed. He, you know, the day he got, 
the day he got his prognosis would have been our 28th wedding anniversary and the and he turned 55 the next day so i mean he's young just young you know he did say you know i wish i would have gone to the doctor sooner you know i am stubborn you know that kind of stuff but so i just to have that experience and to go through my whole life and I, there's been conversations where i'm like i feel like i'm just here to persevere through things i feel like i'm here to persevere to raise up to be a somehow inspire or help somebody who's gone through the same journey. I feel like I'm going to go through it first and, and then I'm going to be prepared to help somebody else. I've always felt like that. Um, you know, so fast forward after we lose him a year later, I get diagnosed with breast cancer. Okay. I'm so like, tell yeah. me about that. Tell me. Yeah. About I'm a, you know, so Bill passes away. And the kids, you know, immediately looked at me and they said, mom, you don't have a job. You and dad always talked about going back West. There's no point in you staying here in Maryland. Just, just go. I said, well, I don't know where I'm going. They said, just go, like go. My, our oldest daughter lived in Denver. Just go West. You can go home to California. All your girlfriends are there. You can go, you can go to Denver. Bree and Lex are there. Like, just go. There's no point in you being here in this house. So I took off for six weeks. I did a road trip by myself with the exception of nine days. I took my son-in-law camping for the first time. Um, but I just, I needed to get into nature and to get quiet and to just be, just to be out in, in, in just in wildlife and parks. And like, I just thrive in nature. Was this so, after the diagnosis you did this trip or before? No, it was before. So I, he, Bill dies. I take off in my little Honda CRV. I did 10,000 miles in six weeks. I just need to get quiet. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to land in Denver. I'll go hang out with, with my oldest daughter and my son-in-law. Um, I had no intent in going back into healthcare. I was so burnt out. I was so, I was at a point where I felt like I wasn't helping patients in any way, shape or form because healthcare has gotten very corporatized, monetized, that nobody spends time with patients anymore. I just felt like I couldn't, I couldn't do what I wanted to do in helping patients. So I was looking for everything but a job in healthcare. And I've learned to really, through my journey of, of being on my road trip and spending time just getting quiet, meditating, and you know, just that kind of gig, um, I've learned that the universe is just going to point me in directions. And if something reveals itself, whether it's extraordinary and not even something I was even thinking about, then I need to listen to that. So I got a call from a healthcare, from an imaging company in Denver. And, you know, it's kind of like, hey, you saw you on LinkedIn, what are you doing? Um, you know, I was just looking for anything that I could just help people with. So I was like, oh, I'll go work at the front desk. I can do that. I don't need to make, you know, a ton of money. Um, I just, I know that I have a servant's heart and I just want to help patients. I can do that on the front desk and make their experience awesome. So I, I get hooked up with, the, with their recruiter and she's, she says, do you understand what, what job you've applied for? And I'm like, yeah, I just want to help people. Like I'll bring cookies and give everybody hugs and high fives and you know, all that kind of stuff. She yeah. said, no, that's not acceptable with your experience. Hooks me up with her VP. They create a position for me. Um, and that's how I got aligned with an imaging company who specializes in breast in Denver. So I was like, cool, that's what I've done for the last 12 years. I'm, you know, I'm, I can, I can do this and I can go break things and processes and teams and rebuild them and have a great experience. I had no, so I'm, so I'm, 
I'm very mindful about my mammograms. I'm always compliant, but COVID, you know, obviously not having a job, I didn't, I was a year behind. And um, so I go in for my mammogram September of last year and have, have it done. It's, you know, I'm thinking everything's groovy and I know I'm fibrocystic. I've got dense breasts, so I'm always really lumpy. I'm never really surprised if I get called back for additional imaging. So that's just kind of the way it's been. And I have my, my screening mammogram, my annual mammogram. And two days later, one of my staff members comes in and she looks like she's about ready. Like she looks like somebody just died. And I said, are you okay, Taylor? And she looks up at me. She says, you're a callback. I said, okay. I said, just get me an appointment. Let me know where I'm supposed to go. And it's okay. Everything will be okay. She said, okay. So she goes and she does her thing. And I go in for my callback and I walk into the room and there's images up on the screen. And I look at the tech and I said, are those mine? And she said, yeah. And I, I know how to read images. And I said, okay. I pointed right at him. I said, that's a speculated mass, which is an ugly term in breast. Um, let's, let's, uh, let's get the images done. Let's get the ultrasound. Let's like, let's get on with it. So she's like, okay, so we do this, we do the images and then we take me in for breast ultrasound and my radiologist comes in. And at this point, I, I, at this point, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I, here I am in imaging for 12 years. Specifically, I am a huge breast health advocate. I've worked with nonprofits. I've walked with patients through their journeys. I've escalated like a patient has a bad screen and I'm running around like trying to get their full continuing multidisciplinary lined up with the on-call, like with everybody. Like I'm, I'm the person that did that for our patients. And I, I'm like, are you serious? Like I'm, I'm that person now? There's, there's no way. And my other thought was, okay, <laughs> like this is not even funny. My kids just lost their dad a year ago to pancreatic cancer. They're not losing their only surviving parent. This is just not in the equation right now. There's just no way. So right at that moment, I'm like, this is not happening. So we have the ultrasound, have the conversation. I go in for biopsy and biopsy results come back, you know, immediately. They're moving me through the continuum fast. And thankfully, I almost felt bad because Yes, I worked for a company that was a breast imaging company. I was part of the staff and I was, a, I was part of the leadership and they moved me through the continuum fast. I felt guilty because we had patients that we couldn't get in for two, three weeks for the same exams that I was going through. And I remember having that conversation. I was like, no, but I don't want to be put to the front of the line in front of everybody else. That's not fair. And that was, you know, our doctors and our, you know, our, our C-suite was like, no, 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 we're taking care of you. So I was like, okay. So pathology comes back. I have um, invasive ductal carcinoma. It was a mass that was close to my right, in my right breast, close to my chest wall. Mm -hmm. Thank God for 3D mammography. They would have never picked it up had it not been for 3D um, because it was small as 1.8 centimeters. Um, and I, you know, I struggled with, had a lot of people at that point, not only people who I worked with, uh, but my best friend is, is a nurse and I called her and I shared the news with her and she said, what are you going to do? And I, I said, what do you mean? What am I going to do? She said, are you going to tell the kids? And I said, yeah, I'm going to tell the kids. I'm not hiding it from them. I didn't disclose information about their dad, but they're going to be a part of this journey and I'm not going to hide it from them. I'm going to be fully transparent. I'm not going to scare them. I'm going to give them the facts. Just, just, you know, this is what we know. And this is where we're moving to. And she said, okay. 
So, and I said, I didn't want to tell them anything up until I got the biopsy results. So now I know, um, and we know what we're dealing with. And it was a grade two. So it was like a stage one B, stage two A. Um, so I, I get, get the kids on the phone and my kids are 23, 24 and 30, all girls. And so I call the family meeting and they're like, what's going on? So I tell them and <laughs> it was kind of funny because so I tell, tell them all the information. And then I say, I have a mass. I said, my, the mass that I have and I tell them where it's at. And they, they were like, whoa, whoa, okay, wait a second. So are you telling us you have cancer? They weren't even equating what was going on with my scan. So I told them all about the scans. And then I, then I ended with the mass is the size. And it let, as soon as I heard that, that was like their trigger. Yeah. What do you mean you have a mass? And what do you mean you, you've got breast cancer? And then the next thing was all three of them almost simultaneously, like those things are coming off, period, end of discussion. Um, and I didn't argue with them. I'm adopted. I have minimal history from my, my biological family. Um, my adoptive mom had breast cancer. My adoptive aunt had breast cancer. I've spent 12 years in the breast health, watched people deal with it through all stages, all walks, all, all treatments. And it was just the best case scenario was to have a double mastectomy. End of discussion. This just wasn't going to be a, a conversation. So um, they were all on board. Um, they were, it was kind of funny because they went immediately from being the kids and I'm, you know, I am hundred percent the person that guides everybody, supports everybody. Like I'm, you know, I'm the one that's like navigating the ship and that, that role flipped real quick. Um, now I'm like, you know, <laughs> I'm, uh, now have turned to the parent that, you know, they're holding my hand, walking me through the whole journey. Um, it was still, you know, it was kind of bittersweet because from that time, from the time I got the pathology, I had an incredible sense of peace that is very hard to describe, but I felt so much calm and it, it, I had no fear. I had no anxiety. I, I was like, yeah, the kids are not, I'm, this is not going to be what defines me. This is going to be something that I'm going to turn into an educational opportunity to compliment what I've done for 12 years, to, to continue being an advocate, but hey, hey, cool. Now I get to be, I get to be that person with the personal journey and combine it with my professional lane. And so, pe pe people have a hard time understanding. They're like, you had peace around it. And I'm like, it's, it's very hard to describe, but I had an incredible sense of calm and reassurance and peace that this is not gonna be it. This is, this is just not gonna be it. This is going to be a blip on the radar for me. So you looked at it and I did that too. Like when I got my diagnosis, I was like, all right, God, what are you teaching me here? What's to learn here? You know, yeah. yeah. And, you know, there's obviously the, the freak out point, not a freak. I didn't freak out. I was yeah. just like, well, I was gut punched. I was like, oh my God, like an uppercut. Like, but I was like, holy cow. So you went through this kind of period, your kids, everyone, you had the mastectomies, right? Yeah. And you kind of had some peace around it. Right? Yeah. So yeah. What do you think, what was the big turning point for you with that? Um, well, I mean, the kids are obviously the drivers. Um, 
the, you know, when I, when I felt that peace kind of envelop me, it was like this calm reassurance of you have been such an advocate and such a proponent and such, and, and the person who is not afraid to talk about the ugly, like people who are cancer and they're like, oh, they automatically think it's a death sentence. And I've never approached it like that. Like if you're educated and you know the resources and the tools and what's available to you and the questions to ask and things that, that I can help arm you with, then your, your fight is gonna be a whole lot more empowering for you than a journey of, of being fear-based. And that's just, that's how I was gonna approach it. And my kids have learned from me. It was really cool to watch my girls step up and become the, the caretakers. Because, you know, raising, raising three girls, you're like, do they really have it in them? Like, they've not done this before. They've watched me because I took care of my dad for seven years. So they watched me take care of grandpa. They've watched me take care of people in my family who have been sick. And then they watched me with their dad. So, you know, they watched me, you know, help my mother-in-law, their grandma through hospice. Um, she had cancer. So they, you know, I've quietly modeled for them, but I never really had, I never really thought, you know, what, what, what would happen if, if I got sick and man, those kids immediately just stepped up and through the whole journey, my staff, I had a staff of 55 at my job. And I can remember going back to my office with the news and, and people cried. And it was not only my staff within all my departments, but my C-suite, like it was, you know, and some of them were like, no, 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 no. Like McSweeney doesn't get this is not happening to McSweeney, knowing what has happened to me, you know, previously. But I was kind of like the cheerleader. Like I was the backbone of, of you know, you treat, you treat every situation with positive intent. And we are all here to be our highest selves and our highest possible good for patient care. So bringing that news back to my organization was, was, was moving for me because I've never had people step up for me. Like I'm always the one leading people through. And it was immediate, like, like to see people cry, I, I was just like, it's going to be okay. Don't, don't cry. We're going to turn this ugly deserves beautiful. And we're going to, it's going to be okay. And we're going to go through this together. You know what I, you know what it reminds me of what you're sharing is it's pretty interesting to see people around support. And like, I remember I had a friend cause I didn't know how to put in the words and I posted on Facebook and I literally, I saw the post the other day cause it came up. It's my two year anniversary. And the things that people wrote, like yeah. how I helped them, like, I felt like it was a living eulogy and there was yeah. something to experiencing that that was so empowering and yeah all good yeah and i remember like anytime anyone's going through stuff like this that's hard i always remember that and i try to lift people up too because the other thing i got out of your story too is like you know we view it as like oh this sucks right but there's always some growth or learning or you know, we may yeah. not know why this happens or yeah. I, I don't view it. Like I remember a good friend of mine, literally like a few days after I was diagnosed and I, there was a lot of unanswered questions. He goes, man, what do you think about? And you know what I said to him? I said, man, am I doing like God's work here? Like yeah. what's really important, right? Yeah. yeah. And, 
he goes, do you feel like you are? I said, I kind of do. I said, but I could do more. More, yeah. So I like kind of your story because you say that, you know, you're like, oh my God, now I have a story. And I'm a nurse. Yeah. And I still see patients and I don't share my story to everybody. But when yeah. I sit down with a patient who's got cancer or who's got something really hard, I share my story, not to yeah. take thunder, but it breaks down that wall. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then yeah. the humanness, the sadness, yeah. and it's okay to cry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to go through all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. So you go through this, right? Uh -huh. You're going through it. What would you say to somebody, you know, breast cancer awareness, right? A female who is just diagnosed or kind of, you know, going through this, what would you say to somebody? What kind of words of wisdom would you say? I mean, this is, I mean, what I, what I say a lot, um, this is not a moment to define you. This is something that is going to challenge you. There's going to be days that suck, that you're not feeling great, that you are, you know, just don't have the energy level, but this is not going to define you. You have to continue you know, just because you have a diagnosis doesn't mean that this is it. It's don't let it take your soul. Don't let it take your heart. Don't let it take, I mean, don't let it define you. You have to look at what the positives are, the technology that's out there, the, all the resources and the systems that we have. We've made so many strides just in the last, gosh, eight to 10 years for breast cancer. And the survival rates are huge. Um, you know, 700,000 people are going to die of breast cancer this year alone. 2.4 million people are going to be diagnosed with it every single year. I was one of them. But I also know that it's, you know, you've got to think of what you have to live for and don't allow it to, you know, there's a, there's a level of when you let the fear take over and that's when it starts, you know, your mind goes crazy. You think you're going to die. I mean, people, when they come in for their mammograms, they think they're going to die. As soon as they walk in that room, so many patients are so afraid of having their mammogram because of what the possibility of the results can be. Mm -hmm. And we've got to flip that narrative to be thankful for the technology. If I didn't have 3D, I would have never known that I had a speculated mass deep in my chest wall growing. I'm thankful for that. So we've got to look at, we've got to change that narrative to look at the positive ways technology has helped us and the strides and the improvement and look at all the incredible support systems that are out there. It's, it's a, it's can be a journey of hope. And then it, you can turn yourself into saying, I conquered it. I, you know, I live with this the rest of my life. I, there's days I wake up and I have back pain. I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, it's back. Now it's in my bones because that's secondary. And that's where the fear creeps in. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to rise above and look at and surround yourself with the people who are there to be in your corner, to lift you up with your medical team, to be aligned with the, to ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. That's what I tell people. I'm like, please don't, don't ever not feel like you can't ask a question. I love what you said about surrounding yourself with the people that are going to lift you up. Yeah. And yeah. they talk about it in self-development. You become the five people you spend the most time with. But one of the things that I found, and you know, this podcast has helped that too, is there's a people that, you know, I, I post into some groups, the podcast, mm -hmm. I have some mm -hmm. cancer groups that allow it. And I have some brain tumor group, but 
the groups and the support is just, you know, even if, you know, when you're going through the fear, because the fear crops up, it just does, you know, it's a a natural human thing that we all experience, but you can choose. And this is really how I've lived my life. I can choose to go down and be stifled by fear, or I could also choose and go the other way and be, and choose a path of love and light and be, you know, surround myself with people who I know are going to lift me up, who are going to make me feel safe, who are going to make me feel like, you know, there is nothing too big that we can't get over on. Um, I don't really particularly care for the word survivor. I'm a thriver. Um, It's just something that if we can turn this into a positive experience, then there's more people that we can help arm with the tools and the resources, even if it's something as simple as don't be afraid to ask a question. Don't be afraid to reach out to your doctor and say, hey, can you walk me through this again? I just don't, because it's, you know, when they tell you that news, it is so surreal that everything just kind of like, you don't even know what day it is. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's, it's funny. Like my, my girlfriend goes to my appointments with me because she goes, you didn't hear that. Like I got, you know, yeah. you just kind of miss stuff. So yeah. Yeah. let me ask you another question. Cause I know we're at the top of the hour and, and I, I know you might be pressed for time yeah. is what was the biggest, what are some of the biggest lessons you learned? What has this taught you? Oh my gosh. Um, I, I think the, between myself and between Bill, and I live this every single day. Life is so precious and it is so short. The, the, all, all the ways and opportunities to get enveloped in negative energy just is just don't do it. It doesn't do you any good. I don't feed into it. Um, I choose to be positive and to live with love and, and just, and people kind of make fun of me. Sometimes my team would be like, Oh, there she goes. She's going to say, and I would say, what is my favorite saying? And they're like, positive intent, approach everything with positive intent. What's the purpose of not approaching it that way? It's not, we should assume that everybody comes to every situation with some kind of good intent. And then craziness takes over in a lot of situations, but you can always reel yourself back and be appreciative of every day that we have. And every day we have memories to make. And I don't take any of that for granted at all. And I, you know, I'll go, my, my best friend, like, cause you know, fall colors are in. And then she was, you know, she'll be like, you're, you literally are like a person who just got her vision back in the fall. And I said, do you not see how beautiful all the colors are? How can you not just be filled up with love and light and know how beautiful all this is and we get to experience it and the cool crisp air and the birds are, I mean, I just, the, the biggest lesson for me was don't take anything for granted. It can be taken away from you, whether it's 91 days or some kind of crazy accident or you've got to go through this painful long journey of cancer eating away at you or some other sickness or disease. I just, I don't take any day for granted. I'm just thankful for, and I write my gratitudes every single day. I love that. And it it flips that negative mindset too. If even if you say three things, you know, that you're grateful for, like something simple, I open my eyes, like, you know what I mean? Like, instead of going down this rabbit hole, right. It's something something positive so I do a a thing where you know what am I a yes for and it's and it's simple things I'm a yes for beautiful cool mornings that I love walking my dog Um, I'm a yes for the fact that I I got to rescue a great Pyrenees and he rescued me 
Um, so it's just, but I do that every day. Like, what am I, like, what's my why? How can I make a positive impact on people and let my light shine? And maybe it'll turn somebody's day around where they're, you know, they're just, maybe they were on, on the wrong, you know, just having a bad day or in just a negative space. And they see me and they're like, huh. you know, and I'm like you, I don't share my story a lot. I'll share it when the opportunity is there. Yeah. It's really more about having the tools and the resources to ask you the questions around your health and being your best advocate. But like, I, I mean, I tell my kids all the time, don't take anything for granted. It can change on a dime. And we've lived that. And people don't think about it. I didn't think about no, it. Uh -uh, no. No. Nobody thinks they're going to get old. Nobody thinks, but no. you know, live life now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. I love it. So tell, you know, I know that we're, we're coming to the, the close here. So yeah. any final words that you'd like to share? No, I just, gosh, I appreciate people like you who just give a platform for, you know, talking about things, you know, overcoming challenges and things that are hard in life, but you know, life is not supposed to be easy. You know, things that, you know, I always, I tell a lot of my employees being uncomfortable is good. It makes us grow. We're not stagnant. We need to continue to be curious and appreciate and just love the things that are around us and just lift your energy, like raise your vibes, be grateful, be kind to one another. Um, and anytime that we get to share that with each other, just especially in today's times, because things are so weird. It's easy to get immersed in all the negativity and all the social media and all the things that are, that just bring us down. And I'm just not going there. And I appreciate, you know, people like you who have given a platform to bring people onto your podcast to share their journeys. We all have trauma. We all have journeys that we've had to rise up and persevere through. It's really what the choice that we make of how to respond to that. And you can go one way or the other. And I just choose not to go down the path that is going to lead me to the dark. It's just, you know, there's too much great things to do in this life. I agree. And there's a whole nother conversation. I'd like to have you back on. Oh, we'll, love talk it. About, we'll talk about trauma yeah. and how this, how these things manifest. Yeah. Um, but I, I really appreciate you, Christy, for coming on, sharing your you. story. Um, yeah. And we'll tag you in this so people can reach out if they have any, anything, awesome. you know, yeah. um, and keep the mission going, you know, absolutely. Keep, keep it takes help. a village and it's a big village we're going to build, but we just got to keep lifting each other up. All right. So thank you Thanks, for, uh, for, for being on.